Post Media, I'm Ewan Plater, and this is XY, a show about mental health in men. Today's episode is a very special one as it features an individual called Faris Khalifa. As you know, XY has partnered with the anti-stigma movement Time to Change, and it was them that introduced me to Faris as someone who's part of their movement. Time to Change have supported Faris a lot over the years, and likewise, he's done a great deal to support them too. So this episode is dedicated to them both. His story is, in many ways, very unique, but in others, it's massively relatable. And there was certainly a lot which he opened up about, which I could definitely relate to as well. So with all that in mind, I really hope you enjoy the show. As always, today's episode is not to be taken as advice. It is just a conversation between two people and should be treated as such. If you are looking for some support, I've left the information of some great resources in the show notes. Anyway, let's go on with the show. I wondered if the first thing that we could do is if you could just introduce yourself uh, on the mic and tell us what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Faris Khalifa and initially I'm a writer. So that's where my passion mainly lies. I tend to write a lot of self-help blogs, which are mainly around experiences I've had with mental health. So issues and situations have come across and how I've solved them or how I managed to get around them. Uh, I've lived in Liverpool, but I'm originally from Sudan and I've been a bit around the world. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your early years then. So live in Liverpool at the moment, but originally from Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what's the story of how you got from from Sudan to, to Liverpool? Um, well, both my parents were uh, journalists uh, based both in Dubai and Sudan eventually. And my dad was quite politically involved, which means it puts us in the spotlight quite a bit. Okay. And eventually, I think it's still happening where they tend to just send nomadic tribes to different areas of Sudan to just kind of erase people if needed be. And the reason they use nomadic people is because they don't exist on paper. They just were born in the desert, died in the you desert. You can just get rid of them. Completely, yeah. And uh, through luck, and which somehow still continues to this day, uh, I managed to get to Liverpool, and I grew up in care over there, where a lot of my... F- mental health issues were first apparent. Like the whole thing was, because I think my brain was too young to compute a lot of the things that I went through. Yeah. And the older I got, I thought it was going to get easier, but it was the opposite. The more and more I became to understand the gravity of my situation, yeah. the more and more I re- realized how much help I'm going to need. Well, yeah. And I think that makes sense. So it sounds like, because um, you were a, a refugee and you travelled from Sudan on your own to the United mm-hmm. Kingdom and I think that makes complete sense that the older you got the more you understood the situation that you had gone through um, were you at a young age aware that there was um, a potential condition there or did you feel like it was like everybody felt the same as you or what? where, where was your head at as a child? Um, it was odd I think the separation first came when uh, mainly is living in care because kids in care come from all different kinds of backgrounds and situations. Mm-hmm. So the rules the government has put down to protect us essentially are so blanket and so rigid that you instantly feel separation between you and your peers in school. So let's say if I wanted to come over to your house and stay over, police would have to come to your house first, check the place and then have your parents right. sign something. And it's like a lot of us in the kids' home just didn't want to go through that kind of – we already felt – you already felt different exactly, enough, so you were like, well, I is. don't want to have to... And that was more of a hassle, so... Oh, man. It was... But at the same time, I did, like, get a lot of love from the staff there. It was a strange place to live in, but I definitely yeah. could have been a lot worse places. 
Yeah. And, and what was the setup at where you lived? Was it kind of foster care or where, uh, where were you based? It's a kid's home. So it's on the same road as uh, Strawberry Field, which is the famous place. Yeah. And uh, it was a massive ground, which were, there was like a, an, an old convent, which uh, hosted nuns from the Second World War who came wow. from all over. And the grounds were beautiful, huge place. They had like a football field. And there was like a little farmhouse behind it with like horses and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The kids who came in were all ages from like one to 17, I think was the max. Right. And uh, I was there for three years and it was a, it was a strange upbringing, but I, it got me to understand people a lot better because the kids coming in all had different difficulties. And I'm not someone who likes to engage with people like in a, in a, in a negative way. So it taught me how to handle a lot of situations, especially younger kids who were very volatile. Yeah. I became really good at Handling. understanding people. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, so you lived there, was your schooling done there as well? Or yes. did you, yeah, yeah. And what was it like um, going to school in that environment? Very, very rough. Okay. Yeah. School was really bad. Um, Cause I'm not too sure what the cause is, but kids can be very cruel sometimes. Yeah. Um, so things went from uh, go back to your country and so on to like physical abuse and so on. And, and yeah. then like, just like kids being nasty. Yeah. And it was really strange. It's like, I think it's school is that what pushed me to the other side where I felt so suppressed and depressed as well that I thought I'll either continue going on this way for the rest of my life or I'll have to like make a drastic change. You need to do something about that. Yeah. And I, I almost like overnight, like around the last days of school, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And it kind of came to my own. That's super brave of you as well. Um, Cause not everybody would necessarily have that um, moment of, I can't do this. I've got to do something about it. So for you to have that realization is quite um, a powerful thing. It's a lot harder to implement. Yeah. Into practice because I've noticed that people don't really change as much as we just become more confident in being ourselves. Yeah. And because I was already felt quite uh, left out, I thought, well, I can't really be any more left out. So I can just do what I want now. Yeah. I'm like, I felt like I was on the outside. And the funny thing is, I found that life turns around as the older you get and the more confident with yourself you are, the more you stand out and the more you attract people and the more doors open for you so it was odd how something i saw as a negative growing <clears throat> up because we all want to be accepted became such a, a powerful positive as i grew older yeah that's a fascinating thing at, at what at what point did um a diagnosis come into play for you because i understand you've been diagnosed with anxiety depression and post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and when did that when did that diagnosis quite early official? i think um Within the first year of living in the kids' home, we had um, psychiatrists and psychologists and consultants coming in, and uh, that kind of stuff was handled by the staff quite rigorously. So we'd go to the GPs, and the GP would recommend me to all different services, and I been through a million services of all kinds of help, from CBT to counseling to psychotherapy, EMDR, and it's the reason why I do what I do now. Is like growing up, I had a tremendous amount of help from people yeah, and services. And I feel like I, since I personally know how much it's worth yeah, to someone, I thought I could just at least give some of that back. 
So there was a kind of pay it forward attitude mm-hmm. that you took to the help that you do. You had, um, yeah, because I, I I looked at myself as a, a as proof that it works. Mm-hmm. That I know how bad I can get and how bad I was, and I'm more than aware that without the help of a lot of people, I would not be in the position I am today. Yeah, that's really fascinating to hear. It's it's a. Uh, Definitely not the way I expected things to go, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, completely. And um, I, I heard you speak in, a, in another interview and the sentence that you said really uh, resonated with me, um, where you said that when you were admitted um, to a mental health unit when you were 19, you said it was actually um, surprisingly similar to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, it's weird because I... Besides that, and you know the, the occasional movie uh, setting, I never had any kind of first-hand experience. Well, yeah, how, how would you? You know, yeah. nobody knows unless they and work there. The first there thing I noticed is when I went in is that time had no sense there. There's no so one a.m., one p.m. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So there was no because it's a secure unit. Interacting with people was every single person had a different way you can interact with them. So people will not speak whatsoever. They'll turn around like offer you a cigarette or offer you some gum. And if you say, so I don't smoke or I'm okay, they'll just turn around and that'll be in the conversation. And after a bit, I just kind of got to know every single person's different habits and how they speak and how they hang out. And I found that leaving there made me feel better than I did than, than being in there. How so? Odd. Could you explain that? Because the people in, in, in the security unit all had such varying levels of, 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 mental health conditions and needs that it was almost impossible to 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 focus on every single patient in there so it felt like more of a halfway house where they kind of monitor people as opposed to attempt to get them better provide actual mm-hmm. help but that's really interesting that you um it sounds like everybody that that you met or at least a lot of people you met um in that unit had their own language or at least their own way of yeah. how they engaged with people. And in order to connect with them as another human being, you had to, um, you had to dig into what it was that made them tick or what, what was their way of how they opened up to you. Absolutely. And I found the one thing that always clicked with people, no matter what I speak to is the second I humanize myself where I come in without any armor whatsoever, if I can. And yeah. the way they do that is by talking about something that, wouldn't necessarily make me look the best. Uh, for example, the other day, uh, five days ago, almost got into a very, very close car accident. Oh, no. Um, these two kids ran into the road. and was, You were driving? or No, no, I was just standing just uh, to cross the go to the pharmacy. Okay. And these two kids, about three and four, just darted past me. Mm-hmm. And time slowed down, and it was a weird experience. And ended up having to cross, grab both kids and take them across the road. Whoa. And I could, my headphones were still on, but I could hear the mom screaming behind me. And then when she saw, she was like waving at me. It was a bit awkward kind of waiting there with these two kids while the mom was, you know, yeah. the traffic still going. But once I gave the mom the kids back, I was going to Tesco and I walked in. And I was like, I can't remember what I'm here for. And I noticed I could not stop shaking yeah. really, really badly. And I think the fact of how close the situation was and how... I've been a lot of times that, you know, the car almost comes and whatever, but this was too close. Yeah. And in my head, it just played the worst case scenarios, even though 
the best case scenario happened, no one was hurt. Yeah, it was it was a good outcome. You yeah, know, like, my brain helped. was so focused on the bad thing that could have happened. And as I remember retelling the story to people, uh, I mentioned that I cried heavily when I got home because I was so shaken up. I could have easily left that one detail out of there. Yeah. And the story would have been the same, really. But mentioning the crying bit to me is I have to be honest because we all react to things differently. Yeah. And we all should be allowed to just say, yeah. why, why feel embarrassed or ashamed of yourself? Yeah, why? And I think that, yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's about um, if you had left out the fact that you were crying because you didn't think to say it, then so what? But if you actually had a proactive thought of, I'm not going to tell people exactly. I'm crying... Well, then I guess that's where the problem is, isn't it? Because you're feeling a certain way about a genuine emotion that you had. Um, and do you find that difficult to kind of, you say you don't put your armor on, um, but do you find it difficult to walk through life without armor on? It can be very scary. Yeah. Because sometimes, for example, an interview would go out or a piece, uh, whatever will come out about me. And I think to myself, that's out there now. So any potential person who, wants to let me into their lives, has access to that and can see. Yeah. So, for example, if, if I was to date someone, they can just Google me and go, oh, wow, there's a bunch of stuff I can see. And I tell myself, was that the best idea? And I think absolutely, because it took for pe- other people to do the same, for me to get discouraged and feel better about myself. And anyone who cares about me would only wish me the best and at least cheer me on. Yeah. And the older I get, the less I care people think, which really helps. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. The older I've got, the more I've been like... Whatever. So what? Like, yeah. fine if you don't like me. As long as I'm doing something positive and not upsetting anyone else, I'll yeah. just do it. That's cool. But I think, yeah, I mean, I'm saying that's cool because um, it is. But also, it's definitely easier said than done. And I would like to think that I try to be as openly available and emotional with people as possible. But I definitely do walk around with... Um, it's difficult. And yeah. It's, and, and it varies and just, with person to person. Yeah. Sometimes there's certain people in my life I'm, I find it really easy to be open with. There's other people way difficult, uh, way more difficult. Absolutely. Um, you kind of like get that kind of tenseness thing. I know you, but not well enough to just open up completely. Yeah. And it doesn't actually always have anything to do with how close to the person I am. So there's people that I'm really, really, really close to um, that I don't always find it that easy to be armor free with. Mm-hmm. And there's people that I'm less close to that I actually find it way easier to be um, armor-free with, you it's know? probably the, the body language and the energy they, they emit, where it's, I find that people are more willing to talk to me about stuff if I am if I do the same to them. So if me and you were sat down and I told you, oh, last night I was so upset about so-and-so and I got, I don't know, I cried or whatever, me telling you that can go, okay, so he felt comfortable enough to open up to this level, then maybe it means it's okay to have an exchange yeah, within reason. And I think the more and more you get to know somebody and the more and more comfortable you feel around them, then it's easier to just like, it's difficult with other people, of course, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's definitely worth trying. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And um, kind of linked to that, the next thing I wanted to, to talk about um, was actually with regards to some of the experiences that you've had on your journey with mental health. And one of the things was... Um, you you mentioned um, that a lot of not talking about it was linked to the ideas of manliness that you had and this this idea that you, you couldn't open up. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, living in care, 
the one thing I noticed is whenever I was in school and someone would ask, oh, where'd you live? What'd you do? You could be kind of coy about it or try to not be as honest. But the second they find out you live in care, they go, oh, and then the whole, you become a sympathy case. And that made me grow up with a bit of a chip on my shoulder where I was like so independent. I'd never want to be viewed as any okay. any kind of weakness. Yeah. And then I realized that the older I got, how much harder I was making life for myself. Yeah. Especially when like I was ending up in mental health units when I could have just talked or at least opened up before I got to that stage. Yeah. And I've been through many stages. I mean, especially as I as I grew older, I've had very close people who uh, I've sadly lost to suicide. And the fact that I was completely unaware that anything was going on. Yeah. The first thing that happens, it hits your ego and hits your kind of sense of guilt. And you think, oh, I should have done something. But in my head, I think now what I think now is that not everything could be prevented. But at least what we could do is create a safety net, create something that could... Mm-hmm. We chat to other people, so I think through just experience and realizing how much more damage it's going to be to stay quiet, that I forced myself to go the opposite way. Yeah, and but was that rooted in the idea of um, a man shouldn't talk, or was it more just a generic like safe safe place for you? No, not to speak? definitely a man shouldn't talk because, especially back home, what I find in Arabic countries a lot more stricter on mental health. That if a boy cries, then it's all you get a lot of hard time for it. Okay, and I remember being made fun of all the time. But it's like a societal thing, and yeah, and it creates almost like a, a a mental block in your head. And England was not as as heavy, but it's still quite heavy, especially in certain areas. Yeah, people can be well, you know, the whole let's grab a pint and forget about it. Ideal that might work for some things, for a lot of things it won't. Yeah. I think that, I don't know, because I think that that's really interesting having your um, perspective on it um, in terms of the background that you've come from, because I think that um, England's really, or not England, but the UK as a whole is really dreadful about it um, in terms of encouraging you to speak. And um, It's a lot worse in other places. Yeah, I bet. I think that's the thing. Like, it's maybe it's a case of me actually being really grateful for the, the society. It's I also cultural. In. It's, there's a difference. I noticed that around like a lot of my black friends, it's not as encouraged to do so. It's like almost just doesn't happen. It's kind of like people just brush it off to the side. Yeah. And what, what what's that about? Why, why do you think that is? I think it's the same thing. It's just cultural things brought back from the old country. So I noticed my Egyptian friends, my uh, Jamaican friends, my Sudanese friends, they all seem to have like that kind of it's just not talked about. Just like don't mention it. Just leave yeah. it to the side. And I'm not too sure. It just seems to be very prevalent. Yeah. And um, has that changed for you now? Do you do you feel like you've you've shaken off that um, stereotype or that baggage? Almost. Yeah. There's still you get your your rough days and you get your your days where you feel a bit lower than usual. And I feel that it things with courage. It's not something you have. It's something you have to build up almost every single day. Yeah. So. A lot of days I'd wake up and I'm thinking, oh God, I can't do this again. But well, as in you can't you can't spend another day yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. You're just like pretending or doing this whole charade because I part of me still worries about worrying other people. So even though I might be a big proponent for talking, sometimes in my head I think I might be causing more damage by talking than but never the case. Yeah. That's what I tell myself, of course. Yeah. Um 
but yeah. So the concern for you is always that you're worried that by talking about how you feel, mm-hmm. that's actually going to annoy other people it, more than... Or concern them or whatever, because sometimes I feel like my, if my issues have no solution, it's just something that's I've gone yeah. through. I feel like, what's the point of telling people? And it's true, isn't it? It's like this concern of people not wanting to talk about it in case they feel like a burden. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing is, at least in my experience, whenever I have opened up, A, I've not felt like a burden. I've certainly not been treated like a burden by whoever I've opened up to. You know, it's nine times out of ten, you're met with a really positive response. I try and flip it on myself and tell myself, what if someone came up to me, any of my friends, and said, so-and-so, would you feel like they're a burden? And I'm like... No, absolutely no not. No matter what they say, yeah, or what what it is they're going through, no one chooses to go through anything. It's just yeah. like it's like having a cold. You're not going to apologize for that. It's just it's something yeah. that happens. So, and and actually, now that you mention um, having a cold, I know that you've said before that you actually suffer from chronic physical pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really wanted to ask you about with regards to that was your your dual experience of living with chronic physical pain alongside um, an ongoing battle with with mental illness. Because the two for me are treated so differently um, as as illnesses by health practitioners, by friends. What's it, what's the treatment for both um, coexisted as? Is that a comparison you've ever made? Actually, yeah. I mean, there's uh, the thing is people don't realize that both can feed off each other. So uh, my condition stems from nerve damage, and if I'm feeling very anxious and tense, and I tend to just hold my body just through force of habit that increases the pain tenfold okay and same thing when i sleep and i find that when the, the pain is not so bad i'm in a lot better mood so they, they just kind of balance each other so it's usually mornings and or when things are the worst where you have to kind of push yourself yeah. to get to that mental state where the cycle is slightly broken okay because things will just tend to revolve and revolve and I find that a lot of the energy has to come from me. So no matter what my doctors say or friends say, it can all sound good on paper, but executing it is a lot harder. Okay. So that's why I rely on my friends heavily for stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And when you say that um, the effort needs to come from you, what what does that effort look like? So I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm in a lot of pain, which instantly makes me think I'm very depressed. It's easy to... Which is, yeah, understandable. Like, yeah, that's a natural way to feel. Yeah, it's easy to, to sink feel. into it and to think, oh, I'll put on some sad music, I won't get dressed, I won't get changed. But the effort, the energy looks like, I think to myself, okay, I'm going to stick on some Queen or Simon <laughs> Garfunkel instead of something depressing. And then I'll take a shower. And because my me personally, I find that I relate to music quite strongly. Oh, and same. Some yeah, songs yeah, yeah. will... It's impossible to stick a song on and react any other way because like if I put on let's say uh, Queen Brighton Rock or I put on uh, Hendrix or Clapton whether I like it or not my foot will tap in like two minutes I feel and like you're a bit of a rock and roll fan by the sounds of things heavily yeah <laughs> and it's like especially ACDC and it's okay. like almost like my brain can't deny that so no matter how upset I am it's usually telling myself just stick the song on it doesn't yeah. matter what you feel like and once I stick it on I just let it play out and within a minute my brain is slowly changing, but it's that force, that kind of initial push to to get up and uh, whatever. Like when I want to go for a run and I'm depressed, I say, just put your shoes on. And that's the first step. Once you've done that, you're not going to take your shoes off, are you? You yeah. have to go. So yeah, it's, you got to just get on that first mental hump. And once you kind of get some kind of momentum going on, you can use it to just carry on. But the thing is, the next day, 
the cycle starts anew. You gotta build it up again yeah. and move on. And you need to keep doing that every day. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. But you know what? I think that a lot of what you're talking about, I would um, I would interpret as mindfulness and mindful behavior. And for me, I'm the exact same. So the exact reason we're having the show is that I've recently launched my own business. And that comes with this whole host of um, stresses and pressures where now I'm sitting there like, what if this business doesn't work? You know, I need to be able to pay my mortgage. I want to be able to feed my dog, you know, like all those kind of things. Um, and in order to deal with that, I need to be really mindful. And, and whenever I'm feeling stressed or low about it, and it can be the slightest thing that throws me, I can just get a bad email. Someone doesn't want to do the show or some funding that I was after doesn't come through or whatever the case may be. And it can, it can totally ruin my day. The reverse is also true. If I get a great email, all of a sudden I think the business mm-hmm. is definitely going to succeed and I'm definitely going to be a multimillionaire and be really happy forever. Yay. But whether it's a good or bad mood, I'm trying really hard at the moment to practice mindfulness and think just about what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Exactly as you say, if I'm feeling rubbish, well, why don't you just like put on your running shoes and go for run? It's funny that you do the exact same thing because that's, that's what I would do. Be like, right, step one is put on the trainers, put on the shorts. Once you're in the shorts, you're probably exactly. going to go yeah, run. Exactly, same thing. And and it's, it's very interesting because I find that breathing is the one thing that always, as, as simple as it sounds, breathing is one thing that always brings me back to the room. So okay. I focus on my breathing and I and I, I just and, and and it's the one thing I'm focusing on. Certainly, there's nothing but what's happening right now around me, and that yeah. kind of brings me down a little bit because I'm, my brain can just overwork itself and think about too many things at one time. Yeah, and it's not very healthy. It doesn't help with sleep. It doesn't help with anything. My anxiety shoots up because of it, and I find that if I breathe and try to take things step by step, yeah. And I guess what you mean there is obviously you are breathing all day, mm-hmm. but you mean focus on your breathing or Absolutely. do you have... Focus on it and, and, and just make sure you're breathing right. Because I saw my neurologist recently and she said to me, it's surprising how many people are not aware that they have bad breathing habits. Okay. And What's a bad breathing habit? Basically, it's it's if you if someone tells you to take a deep breath and suddenly you see that their chest puffs up, it means that you're supposed to inhale from your diaphragm. Yeah. And that means, so my doctor said to me, put your hands on your stomach. And as you breathe, if you feel your diaphragm sink, it means you're using the right. And because I'm anxious, I'm constantly just used to like from here. And it, she says to me, that's not, that's quite a labored breathing. And it really did help. It's such a simple, simple task that I changed about myself. Yeah. And there's a lot of apps, of course, that help you breathing, square breathing and, and YouTube videos and so on. And it sounds simple. And you go, of course I know how to breathe, but it's. Yeah. So helpful. I think a lot of it, um, I'm sure there's a biological reason that works as well, but a lot of it for me is just about where your attention is focused. And once you start to focus on your breathing, you're then not focused on whatever it was that was making you feel anxious. And actually, to go back to running, that has a similar effect. Whenever I'm running, I find that my body's doing so, I'm thinking so much about, probably passively, but my energy is so focused on putting one foot in front of the other and I'm looking out for the car and not try to trip over the dog. You just, you know, like you're, you kind of forget about whatever else is going on. And it's, that obviously doesn't fix whatever it was I was anxious about, whether it was important or not, it doesn't matter. But having that time to just almost break the cycle allows you to reset mentally. It gives you a chance. Yeah. To, because if you tackle something while you're full of anxiety and stress, you're not going to reach the same level of results or solutions you would if you came at it with a clear mind. And it's sustaining that clear mind that's the the difficult part. But like you said, like even like something like Tetris, I play Tetris for anxiety and it's so helpful because it's such a simple... God, that game, I've never been able to do it, ever. 
once you once it clicks, it's just the fact that it's like almost like doing dishes for me, where the goal is so simple and 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 then the, the the task is so straightforward. Yeah. So once I start just like mechanically doing it, and I can like use it to just kind of relax a little bit, and yeah. then just it's everything just runs a lot smoother. And I guess there's no responsibility with it either. You know, it's like yeah, it's just it's a completely independent exactly. task in the universe. It's, it's like not it doesn't like a big matter. Deal, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay. Um, and I guess like another thing that um, more than just kind of talking about how you feel and talking to other people about how you feel, you actually went one step further and you launched a YouTube channel. And I watched a few of those videos, but I guess what was the um, what was the rationale be- behind launching um, launching a channel where you speak so openly about your mental health? Um, well, I've only started to do it quite recently. I mean, very, very recently. Uh, I think I put, put up my second video uh, two weeks ago or so, or a week ago, uh, it's because I noticed that not many mental health channels are out there. A lot of seem to regurgitate the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I find that the personal angle is very hard to come by, where people speak from experience and put themselves in a very vulnerable position, because I noticed that whenever I speak, I... I never feel afraid of, of what I'm going to say or how someone else is going to feel. And but at the same time, I never believe in myself. And whenever I do videos in, for other companies' publications, a lot of my friends always ask me, just wanted you to do it for yourself, you know, yeah. personally. And I just never thought I'd be good enough. Yeah. Until I think just one stranger on the street, a little lady came to me. She goes, are you fired? So I'm like, yeah. She's like, I saw one of your videos and absolutely brilliant. She was slightly drunk. It was the St. Paddy's Day. Still counts. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> counts. And uh, she and I said to her, and my friend goes to me, who's that? I'm like, I have no idea. And But the look from her face and the familiarity she gave me, it made me feel so comfortable. It was like mm. such a human moment. And the more and more I do it, the more and more like, I feel like, you know what? This is something I really enjoy doing. It's yeah. not like I just feel like I just have to do too. But it's something I really... It's, it helps me as much as I think it helps might help other people because as I'm writing a script for a video and I'm breaking down the issue I'm dealing with and I'm going to talk about it and I think as I think wait a minute I've come to for a solution and then I use that solution as part of the video because I I have a, always like a initial problem so I can think to myself how do I deal with really low days or how do I deal with such and such and then as I'm writing the script I'm, I, I, and things are more look a lot clearer on paper, I feel like it constantly helps me almost as much as I think I help other people. Yeah. So it's actually, it's kind of cathartic. Absolutely. To just go through the process of planning the video, mm-hmm. never mind recording it. The actual process of actively thinking about what you want to talk about is helpful. Because even as I'm editing the videos, and I can see myself, I can see what I'm thinking yeah. at that moment and how uh, running through lines and everything. And it's just looking at myself, it Just it's, it's a strange thing. Going, I'm so anxious and so tense when there's no reason to, yeah, to yeah. feel so. And then suddenly I just retroactively just think, oh, you know what, I can actually relax. And yeah, the more and more I do it, and just the more chill it feels. I think one of the videos um, that, that you have uploaded, you spoke a lot about um, the suicidal feelings that you have had in the past and um, continue to have. And you spoke about um, a safety plan in that video. And I really picked up on that because I wanted to ask you, when you use the term safety plan, is that an actual plan that you have? Or is it was it more of a hypothetical how you deal with those moments? Um, it's a bit of both. The the, the plan itself, the, the three steps I have in my head is first thing is I check, can I help myself? Is it something I can you know, something that music or a run or whatever this can get me out of? Uh-huh. 
if that's the case, I do my best to get myself out of it. Mm-hmm. And then I think to myself, if it's not working, I can then reach out to somebody. And if that's not working, then I could reach out to a service. So I always have like steps. It's always yeah. three steps. So it's the main thing is, well, can I fix it myself through yeah. breathing, exercise, a bath, whatever it is. And then, and of course, each person varies what, you know, so some person might like running yoga, weights, video games, whatever have you to get yourself out of that hump. Yeah. As long as the first step comes through you. And the second thing is contact our friends, a, a forum, a, a website, a video, anything that can kind of look out outside for yeah. guidance. And if that fails, then I can go through my, you know, the, the expert route through psychologists, psychiatrists and so on. So the plan will be the same for probably a lot of people, but who you reach out to will differ, of course. Like, I have, like, close friends here and do this and that. So it is a bit of both. Okay. And then, I guess, um, kind of linked to that, but it was in a separate video this came up. Uh, gaming's really important to you, right? Mm-hmm. And you uploaded a video about uh, Ubisoft. Uh-huh. Um, and there was one particular interaction with an anonymous gamer online or a stranger, mm-hmm. which actually was quite um, significant in your life. Um, and I really picked up on that. Could you could you explain um, that situation? Because I think that for me really stood out um, in your Absolutely. story. Absolutely, I found that whenever I use the internet, I I never got that thing of anonymity where I'm online and can say what I want. Yeah. I never, I always felt like I'm always responsible for what I say, no matter yeah. what my username was. Or, Good for or, you because it's, yeah, it's just how rare. it felt. Exactly, I never got that thing of I'm online and can say what I want. It just it never. I never felt the need to, and which slowly made me see the different like usernames on different video games as people, as opposed to just random names you come across. Which in turn made me more accepting. If someone's being unsportful, if someone sent me a nasty message, I think to myself, I'm not going to engage. What I'll do is I'll try and appeal to the sense of decency. It doesn't work. Yeah, I'll just, disengage like, from yeah, that. I don't need exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. But for some reason, I seem to attract people because I think through my honesty, a lot of people feel like they can just talk to me, even if it's not yeah. on a, in any kind of level. And this one kid I used to play with, he wasn't, he was very strange in the sense where if you didn't know him, you'd think he's very rude. But it was just his mannerisms. They were very subdued. Yeah. And through some experiences he had back in the day, they've made him who he is now. And we were one day just talking about random stuff at like 4 a.m., and he mentioned how uh, he lost his partner to suicide and how it's the one thing that constantly played on his mind. Yeah. And it was a strange thing. I thought to myself, I, I would have never guessed because nothing says about, you know, about him giving that image. And how could you, you know? Exactly. And at the same time, I felt like, you know, if he's telling me, I feel like I have a duty to at least try to help him out. Yeah. Not through responsibility, but kind of, I'd like to think if I was on a situation, someone would do the same for me. Yeah. If they had, you know, the ability to. And I remember waking up after a couple of months of just, like, us becoming friends and st- nothing special, just, like, messing about online and having a laugh. He texted me this morning and said to me, I don't feel like I want to kill myself anymore. And in my head, I thought, oh, my God, that takes such a, a, yeah. a weight off me because I think to myself, we got somewhere. Yeah. And it's a result, something that's it's tangible. And... That only strengthened how I feel about strangers I meet online or on the street. Because no matter how... I, I look at myself and I think, 
I'm aware of how people can sometimes perceive me when walking to a room. And a lot of it can be just garbage. It's based on like image. It's like, yeah. it's not real. And not just you. I think that applies to everyone. Exactly. Know? If you go on my Facebook or on my Instagram, you'll think my life is like cats and just the usual, but it's not. Yeah. Like, we're less likely to post the sad things. More like just, you know, whatever. Well, who, yeah, who would actually? Exactly. Like it's, it's, it's not a practice behavior exactly. to share your worst moments on social media. But I think that's quite dangerous because if you tend to just like scan through it, then yeah, suddenly totally. you go, oh, wait a minute, is everyone having a good time except me? Mm-hmm. But not the case. We all tend to like, it's easier to mistake the painting for the painter. Yeah. And I think especially probably you, you met this guy um, playing an online game. You wouldn't really draw a correlation between playing Xbox or PlayStation online and thinking that person was in a, in a bad space because they're actively participating in like a fun, fun activity, yeah. you know? So you would presume that. But what I do is I look at myself and think to myself, I'm on Xbox. It's 4am. It's not something. Why am I on Xbox? I'm yeah. Because I'm quite a bit of pain and being very depressed and anxious, which makes sleeping very difficult. So I need to find something that's engaging me to speed writing or something that's something engaging me. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm using video games is escapism then it must be the same for many many other people yeah Not everybody but quite a few and then suddenly when you to, realize yeah. it it's a lot of people yeah who are using that escapist exactly. um, behavior to get over how they feel um could you could you talk a little bit about what e3 is because not everyone i think at home okay. is going to know just before i go into this next question um e3 is like uh like kind of like the video game mecca it's electronic entertainment expo which is held every year in in la and all the biggest video game companies from Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, all can get around there. Just huge, huge convention slash... Like Gamer Olympics. Yeah, almost Gamer Olympics. Like, who has the best things to show off? Yeah. And uh, ever since I was a kid, anyone you, who plays video games knows what E3 is. It's yeah. where things, uh, when's the next game coming out or the big thing can happen, E3 is when you kind of unveil all that stuff, yeah, yeah, where yeah. the hype train starts. Yeah. And... Because you enjoyed it so much when you went that you felt the need to put up a video about the Ubisoft team. Um, did Were they the company that took you out yeah. there? Or Okay, cool. So the way that worked is uh, Ubisoft has a program called the Star Player Program where they select people from different communities of different games who are just good members of communities. So people who like uh, creating art for one game or like to create music or videos or just talk about aspects, philosophy. That's cool. And it's not people who are entered a competition or it's just people who just like doing the thing. Yeah. And then just go, oh. You genuine know. fans. Exactly, genuine fans. And then we, when they invited us over, of course, it's an absolute dream come true. Because Guarantee 3 only last year was open to the public, but it's still quite an expensive thing. Yeah. Like the tickets cost like $600, something stupid. And then <sighs> the, the plane and then the, 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 the hotel and everything. But for someone as big as Ubisoft as well, to not only ask me to, to represent them there on stage, but to pivot the whole thing, it was a dream come true. Yeah. But I think the biggest lesson I got from it is how much I challenged myself. Yeah. Because even, for example, coming to this interview, yesterday I was in a lot of pain. And if I start to think about future, I think to myself, I've got to get a train tomorrow. Will I be in this exact same pain? And then suddenly I panic. Yeah. When I don't know. I might be know. as yeah. bad. Exactly. And I told myself, I don't want to get all the way to LA and be a hassle to people. Like even here, I can kind of say, I feel bad. I can, two hours I'm back home. Yeah. But LA, it's a different story. 
And not only that, if I get there and let the illness ruin an experience for me, it'll be such a a shame, at least for me. Yeah. It's such a huge, huge deal for me. And I challenged myself and I went and it was one of the best, if not the best things I've ever done in my life because Amazing. it showed me that the world is not as small as I thought it would be. Yeah. Because in your head, especially when you're depressed or housebound for some reason, suddenly the, the more days go on, the smaller the world feels. Like suddenly you think like the entire world is just my living room where all my anxiety and things exist. But showing to myself that I can actually just challenge myself and just go and do it and have a good time too and not like feel like a struggle yeah, was really life-changing because I thought to myself, I never thought I could ever do this, but here I am doing it. And what was it? So that presumably, it sounds like what you actually had was a sense of accomplishment and realization that you could do these kind of things. What did you come back with from that? Well, when I first came back, I thought I was, you know, getting through the, the excitement, the adrenaline, the hype, the... But I noticed one thing about me is that I wasn't as anxious as I used to be. Like, it was you were less odd. anxious when you got back? Yeah, it was like almost, I could feel it. Like almost people who didn't, who know me quite well could see a different change. Yeah. And I think just the realization that I'm not as bound physically to places as I thought I would be due to my condition yeah. has taken so much stress because I thought to myself, I can at least have a choice in where I go. I have, it's an option opened up again because travel's always been a huge thing for me. And to know that it was limited because of the condition I'm in was quite disheartening. Yeah. And to know that I could challenge it and not only the challenge it, but kick its ass too. Yeah. was like such a huge. Yeah, totally. Good for you. Yeah. 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 I love that you said kick its ass. That's... Yeah. Because it's, it's, I tend to sometimes humanize or at least conditions and, and, use my ego to challenge them. Yeah. Because I can tell, my pain tells me you're not going to go anywhere or do this. And I'm t- tell myself, well, mm, no, I will actually. Yeah. And it's, you just push yourself. I love that. It's a good attitude to have in all walks of life, I would say, is that barriers are there yeah, to be challenged. Yeah, it's a lot harder to practice, but it's so worth it. Yeah, completely. Mm. You'll do more living. Literally life-changing. Absolutely. Um, and today's interview, so we're actually in the Time to Change um offices that's where we're interviewing you today and that's how we met so the the charity were the ones that introduced me to you and you kindly agreed to to be on the show but could you could you explain a little about your relationship with time to change absolutely um i noticed when i was a bit younger that i had a a propensity for getting things viral so i can like make a joke or do something stupid like i remember one time i spilled some time in the kitchen i was cleaning up and this thing of time fell and i put it on my wrist and took a picture and just wrote well 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 would you look at the time and it was really That's stupid dad joke my kind of humor by the way. yeah it was yeah, a yeah. super dad joke but i think it's that kind of thing that. that gets viral yeah <laughs> and i'm like this is so stupid and then, <laughs> this constantly seems to happen to me so my reddit is just i don't understand like uh, one day this uh, Reddit will have a, a fad of drawing me. So I get these really amazing artists just drawing amazing paintings of me for no reason. And the more and more, and then as I grew older and my ego started to die down, I thought I could probably channel a lot of this into more positive things. Yeah. And then the more and more writing I do and videos and stuff I do for different publications, the more and more I got noticed by different places and eventually time to change where I've been involved in so many things with you guys. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the best, it's such a strengthening experience because 
to, to be involved with such a huge organization, but also that's so accepting. Because I've noticed one thing is whenever I, I showed up to any of the buildings, any of the offices, people always said to me, it's okay. Just talk about what you want. Just feel as comfortable as you want. And I thought, I, this this is a way I could live. Because in my head, I thought, yeah. not everyone's accept- as accepting and I can't be able to come into the offices and just think, are you anxious? It's okay. Take five minutes to sit down or go home. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just... Like a really genuinely yeah, caring environment. Exactly. And it's it's amazing. And I think as well, is like that makes entire sense um, why Time to Change is the way it is because they have their employer pledge, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, where they actually go out um, into industry and ask employers to take a pledge with regards to mental health in the workplace. And what you've just described there is a way that you would love to live um, within the four walls of, of these offices. What do you think it means to people um, to work at companies that do take that pledge and... Um, you know, sign up to proactively invest their time and effort in the mental health of their employees? I think companies don't realize that it's odd because sometimes when I talk to like uh, more business-minded places, once you put it in dollars, they get a bit more. When you say, you have no idea how much mental health can cost you in in terms of like missed people with depression and so on and so on and so on. But at the same time, for me, it's, it's... I don't want to wait to get home to get that sense of release. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in, in an office and being anxious and feel like, ooh, maybe there's a bit of a bro culture here. Maybe there's a, a, a bit of a business culture where, where weakness is not something favorable to show. Yeah. And I don't want to be working in that kind of environment because it's you, you, you go there every single day. And I have friends who don't dislike their jobs heavily. I'm like, well, tell your supervisor, say I'm having a bad time or whatever. And they feel scared. Yeah. And I'm like, but think of how much better your life would be if... This is something you do every single day, and it's you spend most of your time there. And wor- exactly, and every morning you wake up, and I, I tell my friend, I'm like, you look so unhappy, and she's like, well, I can't do this. I'm like, well, say something, be yeah. honest with somebody, and eventually they they push themselves and they talk, and the difference it makes is huge because yeah. rarely do you get people who will push you back or who will disagree with you. A lot of people will be very very understanding and say, oh yeah, I've been there myself, or it happens. Yeah. And I think it just does come back to the value of communication because if you're really hating your job and you've not told your supervisor that there's a reason that, mm-hmm. that you're not enjoying yourself and that, that there's something that could change, you're potentially not coming across as a very good employee either. Yeah, you're not being your supervisor, either. yeah, your supervisor like, not emotions, yeah. Yeah, they're not a, a mind reader. They don't know why you're acting mm-hmm. the way you're acting. And it just starts with that conversation. At least that's been my experience. Absolutely. Um and I, yeah, and I think that, that that is the thing is that if you feel like you work somewhere where mental health is taken seriously and you can open up to your colleagues and your supervisors, then it, um, it's exactly as you said that it's, there's a business case for it. You know, you are burning less money on sick You don't want to and- worry that your mental health might affect your career, especially when no one wants their mental health to be a, a factor in anything or like at least to control them. So I feel like when, when charities like Time Change come into the place, they give people room to breathe yeah and then they say it's like 10 people it's okay to just say what you want yeah and it's what happens and i think there's even there's just power in like the optics of it you know i think even just before an employer changes any policies or puts any structure into this new program i think just even the act of saying we are now going to proactively invest our time and effort in the mental health of our staff that's like a hugely powerful thing to say and as an employee it makes you feel way more um, empowered to speak up before anything's even changed. You're just the fact that they've said they're going to take that step means that you want to. Because a lot of people worry, especially in, in in very demanding jobs, they worry if they 
show themselves as not as valuable as everyone else. They might lose their job or not be, you know, get ahead as everyone else. And it's, it's dangerous to think that it's, it's to separate the bo- yeah. both. You have to be like some kind of... I think that is the core because, stigma. Isn't yeah, it? because if I'm happy coming to work every day, I'm going to do the best job possible. But yeah. if I'm like coming in depressed, I'm going to do the, you know, whatever my mental capacity at the time, or at least enthusiasm allows me to do. Yeah. And it's just, it's simple, really. Yeah. And I, and again, I think it is that it's the stigma around mental health versus physical health that you wouldn't imagine that a broken mm-hmm. foot would stunt your career, you know? Exactly. Um, whereas anxiety, depression, things like Completely. that. Yeah, you are worried that, oh, if I tell people, then they're going to think I'm a hassle. And I think the, the, that's opening up more when you get with like such prominent figures in society from like the, the, the princes to footballers to actors and comedians openly talking about their weaknesses. Suddenly, it's becoming more and more acceptable because yeah. people think, oh, wow, this huge boxer or UFC fighter or football player who's seen as a symbol of, of machismo or whatever yeah. is out there on TV talking about this time when he was extremely depressed or so-and-so. It's empowering. because it's you super think empowering. It's humanizing too because you think, oh, well, we're all the same. Yeah, and that that's completely it. It doesn't have to be something um, that defines you. It's yeah. something that you can define. You mm-hmm. can say that these are the experiences I've had, and, but this is who I am. It's not that I'm just because I suffer from anxiety does not mean that I am X Absolutely. person that you expect me to be. Couldn't agree more. Um, we're going to wrap up quite shortly. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you one question about a story I heard with regards to a bus driver. Okay. Do you want to tell? Because this story is really beautiful and I'd love you to, to kind of tell people. Thing. Um, so a lot of my stories start on the bus and I was on the bus and it was like one of those super like windy, rainy days where it's like <laughs> horizontal rain. And... I'm from Glasgow, so that sounds like home. Exactly, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, the bus driver stopped and called me over. And usually they do that if um, it's the last stop or whatever. And he goes, and I I walk to the the cab and he goes to me, do you mind just giving this five pound to the homeless man across the road? I'm not allowed to leave my, you know, driver's seat. I'm like, oh, absolutely. And I think it took a while for me to register what was happening because I was kind of so shook up by the whole thing. And as I came back and I sat down, I just realized what I was thinking of before that moment happened and how petty and stupid it was. And then how great an act of kindness is happening right in front of me while I was, it was so freeing because I thought yeah. to myself, oh my God, all the stuff I was thinking about was so garbage. It doesn't matter. Menial. Exactly. And for me, that meant a lot because that was a tangible lesson that genuinely made me feel better and yeah. release anxiety. And because I know I have a lot of friends who are like in, in the bar business and restaurant business. I remember writing a very short post about it on Facebook and it took quite a bit of traction. And I asked people, can I have something to give these folks just as a thank you? Because I feel like we've learned something from this. And not only that, but it makes the city look amazing. Because yeah. my Pay main, it forward, you know? Yeah. So what I have to do is I like to, to shine positive light on people and things as opposed to myself. It feels a bit cringy. You know, you can't really like... Yeah. And uh, I got this care package given to me. Like, it was a basket of, like, different uh, alcohols and vouchers for restaurants and what have you. And I rang up Arriva, and they were so happy with what I told them. They found the driver within an hour. No way. And I texted dude, and I ambushed him and said to him, can I give you a card to say thank you? And when <laughs> I went to meet him, it's so annoying. Before I say it, anything, he goes to me, oh, I know you're in town a lot more than I am. This is my old army blanket. Can you give it to someone who needs it? I'm like, dude, I've, I've already got one. I can't go get another present. You've already, you stopped teaching me lessons. Yeah. And we took a photo. And he's <laughs> such a lovely dude. And I 
posted on my Facebook, got on the bus. By the time I got home, within 10 minutes, it was like 8,000 likes or something stupid. And it just kind of skyrocketed. And then suddenly I started seeing the guy on posters and the bus drive, bus stop next to me on Arriva Drive of the Year. And how, cool. the, how that story snowballed, it inspired a lot of people to just give. So yeah. Arriva gave like 100 unmarked uh, uniforms to uh, homeless charities. And people were opening shelters and the things was happening. And it was so amazing how one act. Yeah. And just snowball. Exactly. So I had nothing to do with it. I was just almost like documenting it. Yeah. And presenting it. I didn't have to dramatize anything and have to like, like pull anyone's heartstrings. You were just caught in the middle. I just mentioned the totally what happened. And whenever that's what I'm, I seem to be good at is I see something incredible in front of me and I tell myself, wow. And then I, I just put it to the forefront. Yeah. And I kind of, it it works with my kind of my anxiety issues and my self-loathing because I think I don't want to put too much light on myself for doing anything good, but we, I'd happily put someone else in the spotlight because at least I can do an Irish accent when I want. Yeah. Well, that's like a really, that's an incredible story. I absolutely, I didn't know the detail um, behind it. I just heard the bit about you. Oh, so cool. It yeah. got so big. He was on Granada Reports and BBC. It was a big, big deal. And that's an incredible thing yeah. that you did. Because you didn't know it was going to get that big. You did that. No, and the yeah. thing is, it was so good because he was just a regular dude. He was a, like, he ha- like he was just trying to be a nice guy. There was yeah. He didn't know I was going to make a scene of it. He didn't yeah. know I was going to talk about it. He was just like saying, hey, whatever. And... I love stuff like that. It makes anywhere look positive. Yeah, it totally does. It, yeah, it makes you feel warm, you know? It makes you enough, feel like part like, of something. Because enough garbage on the news every single day that it's worth having like a positive thing to push through. So, 100%. Good absolutely. news is good to hear. Absolutely. Um, okay, last thing before we go. Mm-hmm. Cliche corner is the last question I ask everybody. And it's really cheesy. And everybody asks it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What advice would you give to your younger self? It's cliche true, but it's also very important because I, I remember as a kid, I was so scared of being myself. And I remember I spent a lot of my days crying because I felt the person I turned out to be was not what fit society, societal norms at least, because I, was, I wasn't really good at fighting or, or, or I just cried and liked to be alone. And when I grew up and found that I could happily be myself and only that, but thrive at that person I wished I was when I was a kid, was scared to be as a kid. So I tell myself is just do not be afraid whatsoever to be yourself because it's terrifying and scary, but you'll only live your best life if you truly be just who yourself, be who you want to be as opposed to who you think you should be. I love that. It's a really nice place to finish. Appreciate it. Okay, Faris, thanks so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. Great. Thanks, Simon. Cheers, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Faris Khalifa on XY with me, Ewan Plater. Thanks once again for listening to this Time to Change special of the show. If you are enjoying it, then please make sure to go rate, review, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons on all the different platforms where you listen. Um, And we look forward to welcoming you back next week. Bye for now.